Okay, so our reading tonight is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 40, and that can be found on page 1054 of the Black Bibles in the seats. So 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40. About virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Therefore, I consider this to be good because of the present distress. It is fine for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is acting improperly towards his virgin, if she is past marriageable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin, will do well. So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Brett's right, we shouldn't idolise Paul, uh, but he does have the Spirit of God and speaks as an apostle to us. So we listen to his word, and what does he say in verse 8? Uh, look with me, chapter 7, verse 8. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. That is single. It is good. Do you believe that it is good to remain single? I think most of us don't believe that verse. I think a lot of uh, single people here want to be married. They don't want to be single. And many married people want for their single friends to be married and kind of think it's their duty to help with that somehow, sometimes. <laughs> friends, I think if, if we actually believe verse 8, that'll mean some pretty radical changes for us as a church, wouldn't it? Some big attitude changes. I think if we do want to have these kind of attitude, attitude changes, what's going to help us is if... 
we think of ourselves as holy pilgrims. We talked about this pilgrim last week. I think we've got a picture of our little pilgrim up there. There he is, uh, the guy from Pilgrim's Progress. We should maybe think of ourselves a bit like that. Uh, We talked about this last week. The idea that Jesus has washed us clean by his blood and made us holy people. And we walk through this world, this world full of difficulties and challenges. And it's, it's hard to be holy and we walk through it. But we don't just look at the world. We actually look beyond it to the destination, to resurrection glory that lies ahead of us. And that glory shines its light onto our path and changes the way we live in this very day. I think that's how 1 Corinthians is kind of shaped. And that's how our passage is shaped. So the first half of it, chapter 7, talks about the challenge of living in this world. And then the second half that David just read focuses more on living in light of the resurrection that is to come. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to look this evening at three things, three areas. We're going to look, this is kind of the second half of last week's sermon, if you remember. We're going to look first at, at marriage in light of resurrection, and then singleness in this world, and then finally singleness in light of resurrection, or keeping that kind of pilgrim framework in our minds as we go. So here's the first point. Married pilgrims, your pilgrims first, and married second. A few weeks ago, Easter Monday, I went for a bit of a jog slash walk kind of thing. And it was quite long for me anyway. Um, and, and as I was got quite tired, I came into this lovely little valley. It was in the Blue Mountains, very nice. And there's this creek running through the valley and it was kind of cool and shady and this little piece of grass. And I thought, I want to settle down. I just want to get comfortable, lie down, take a, take a little nap here or something like that. Um, but I couldn't because that's not my destination. That's not where I was headed. I had to keep on going. Friends, my fear is that people who are married and perhaps with family find it all too easy to settle down in this world and forget the destination. Just forget where we're going. So look with me at verse 33. Chapter 7, verse 33. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. Verse 35 says the same about the wife. This is just the nature of marriage and family. There's just this extra significant relational burden, if you will, that just binds you to this world. I was speaking to a, a couple just la- uh, two weeks ago who don't, can't have kids, and they were saying, we're just less bound, we're less caught up in this world. and That's the reality of things. The danger is for married people and families, is that we start living as if this world is it. We just stop and forget the destination. We start thinking like our our life circumstances, our marriage and family define us. We find our, our identity in those things. And Paul says, no. He says, no. He says, look, he says, think of the slave. Take a slave, for example. Their life circumstance is slave. But you know what? In Christ, they are so much more. They're a free man, he says, verse 21 and 22. Same with married people. You think, life circumstance, I'm married. But that's not all you are. In Christ, you're more than that. And so, uh, he speaks to us in verse 29. See that verse 29? He's bringing this perspective in. 
And I say this, solemn announcement, listen up. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. The next thing on history's agenda is Christ's return. That's the next big moment. What does that mean for us? So, verse 29, the time is limited. So, from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. They should plan overseas holidays on their own and head off. This is, don't, please don't write that down. I didn't say that. The idea is actually this. It's, it's don't live as if being married is the most important thing about you anymore. Your fundamental identity is not husband or wife. It's actually holy pilgrim. It's, it's child of God. Uh, my wife Olivia and I have been thinking about this in the last week or so, about what this means for us. And we've realized it, it at least means this, that before she is my wife, she is my sister. I know that sounds a bit weird, but that's how it is in Christ. And as we've been thinking about that, in some ways it puts a little bit of distance between us. And yet in other ways it actually draws us really close and helps us love each other. Because no longer do I love her and serve her because I'm in love with her and because I'm her husband, but because I'm devoted to the Lord. That comes first for me. And so I'm going to love her. So she's my sister before she's my wife. And anyway, uh, marriage has a use-by date. See verse 31? I think this is a key verse for this section. The second half of verse 31. For this world in its current form is passing away. And that includes marriage. Uh, When Jesus returns, my marriage is over. Um, That might sound really depressing to some people. We'd like to have this kind of marriage that goes on into eternity, um, which is actually a Mormon teaching. You can have that if you want it. But Jesus said, in the age to come, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. There used to be a bishop of the northern Sydney region here, a guy named Paul Barnett, and he used to say, my wife and I would like to at least sit next to each other in heaven. That'd be nice. Well, maybe. But you know what? I think, and this is what Liv and I were talking about this week, maybe we'll just be so swallowed up with the reality of being in the presence of Christ that we... Marriage will just kind of shrink down, or in, or in some ways, it'll totally expand to become what it's really all about, being with Christ, being united to him, so that we will look at each other and go, Olivia, it was wonderful. What a privilege that I could walk with you as a pilgrim through this world to this destination. How good is it? So if you're married, let me ask, where is your identity? Is it in your marriage? In your family? Have you kind of decided just to settle down in this world and forget about the destination? Or is it in Christ? Is that where it's at? You're his child. You're a holy pilgrim. Well, if you want to be a holy pilgrim, what do you do about it? Um, what, What do you do about it if verses 32 to 35 are just a reality? It is It is hard for us to be entirely devoted to the Lord. Because we're distracted by this world. What are you supposed to do about that? I think the answer is pretty simple. Just fight against it. (laughs) Do what we can as couples or families um, to be together for the Lord. Together, not being irresponsible, having a strong marriage, a strong family for the sake of the Lord. Together for the Lord. Because the time is limited. Because... Verse 31, the world in its current form is passing away. 
Well, that's, that's that section on marriage. We're going to move on now to talk about singleness. And I've actually asked Lyndall to come up here and talk to us a little bit about being a single Christian woman. It's not an easy thing to do. So should we thank Lyndall as she comes up? Thank you, Lyndall. Lyndall, can you tell us a little bit about the times when you feel the pain of being single most acutely? Um, Yeah, I think in life there are big things such as um, living arrangements, where you're going to live, who you're going to live with, Um, when you want to go on a holiday, um, will you go on your own or are you able to find someone or a couple of people to go with and have common goals for that holiday, destination and what you're going to do. Making other big decisions in life, things about your job or um, yeah, where you might live, um, financial decisions. Um, and then there's things like birthdays and Christmas and New Year's as well. And then there's small things um, such as arriving at events on your own when you might not know that many people. Um, and also driving home from social events or from church and wanting to be able to debrief with someone about what's happened or what you've talked about, and yeah. Mm. That's really insightful for, for yeah, many of us who aren't there anymore. Um, that's really helpful. Can you tell a bit, a bit more about what is that pain? What, what are those emotions you're feeling as, as you're driving home or whatever it is? Um, yeah, I guess uh, not having a most important person that you belong to and that belongs to you. Um, I think generally there's uh, a disappointment and uh, rejection, um, that there's something wrong with you, that you're, there's something wrong with your personality or your character, um, that you're not intelligent enough or attractive enough. Um, and I think there's definitely been times when I've been angry at God, but then that's really quickly followed by feeling guilty for feeling angry at God. Um, and so a part of your emotions. Yeah, so. yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So what, what is it about God then? You get angry at him sometimes, but what is it about him that actually helps you at these times? Is there anything you can kind of hold on to? Um, I think as this, as this service has gone on, there's been lots of um, truths from God's word that we've sung and that people have spoken about. Um, something that I've heard a lot tonight is that we are chosen. We are all chosen by God to be his children, and that's been really big for me um knowing that god's love for us never fails um and that there is nothing that can separate us from his love um knowing that jesus came to restore my relationship with god and to set me free from everything which might hinder the true joy that comes from knowing god um knowing that god has given us a purpose Um, in life, which isn't dependent on your circumstances. Um, Knowing uh, God's presence with us, um, even when we endure difficult times, um, that he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live in this world. Um, Knowing that he is all-powerful and that he is all-knowing and he knows what is good, truly good for us. Um, Knowing that God desires us to love one another well and to care for each other and to carry each other's burdens um, sort of goes hand in hand with purpose, having our purpose. Um, 
and knowing that he wants us to cast our burdens on him because he cares for us so deeply. Mm. There's a lot to hold on to. Thanks. Yeah. That's good. Um, just finally, um, how do you make use of your singleness? Um, I think um, I've chosen some relationships to be really intentional about. Um, so obviously my family, um, I have four nieces and nephews, um, and so choosing to be involved in their lives. Um, I have um, an amazing prayer triplet that I'm a part of. Holly may have spoken about that earlier. Um, <laughs> um, I think, and also regularly meeting up with a friend to read the Bible is really helpful and um, encourages us mutually. Um, she's married, I'm not, um, but just to share our common faith, our common goal in our life, despite differences in our circumstances. Um, and a big thing is serving at church, being involved in the ministry here, um, teaching kids about Jesus, um, encouraging people, yeah, mm. um, being encouraged by everyone else here. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. I think the way you serve and engage with people at church is a great picture of what church family perhaps ought to be a bit more like, and it's a good lesson. I think it's especially hard for married people with kids, married people, to, to do that in the same way. This is a real lesson to us. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing with us. So then just to talk about two points on singleness. The first one is um, singleness just kind of in this world and then singleness in light of resurrection glory. And the first one, single pilgrims, marry if you burn and can. I'm not going to say very much on this because Paul doesn't. Um, so in verse 8 and 9, he says a little bit. Uh, verse 8, he says, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. That is single. Um, you might not agree with that. Uh, that's what the Bible says. In fact, in verse 7, Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, a gift from God. Then in verse uh, 9, he, he gives kind of another side to it. He says, but if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire, since of being eaten up by these desires. Um, Paul, the, the tone that goes right throughout this passage is of freedom, isn't it? It just says, it's okay, you're free, you can marry. To which many of us think, yeah, great, it's that easy, is it? Just get married, that'd be easy. Um, perhaps it was in a, in a culture with arranged marriages, but not so much anymore. Um, so, so what is he saying to us? I think at the very least he's saying at this point, you're free. You know, you can date if you want. Uh, you have not taken a vow of celibacy when you became a Christian. Uh, you are free. Um, much more on that in Hive Life. If you want to sign up to that one, three weeks on that sort of, uh, that sort of question. Uh, but I'm going to leave it there because Paul really doesn't say much more. He wants to move on to this last point about singleness in light of, of eternity. Single pilgrims, singles will do better. Uh, now, I'm, I reckon the Corinthians, when they heard what Paul had to say in this, in this last half of the chapter, would have been a bit surprised. I think singleness, seriously, singleness is good? I don't think so. It doesn't seem to make, it doesn't seem to make sense in this world. Marriage is where it's at, and family, that's where it's at. And all of a sudden, Paul is saying singleness is good. Why? How does this fit in? And I think, again, the answer is in verse 31, right there. For this world, in its current form, is passing away. This world that says marriage is where it's at, that preaches marriage and couples to you, it's passing away. What's going to be the new reality? 
Well, it's going to be this strange combination of entirely married. All of us entirely married to Christ. Marriage is what the new reality is going to be. But the new reality is also going to be celibate. No marriage in heaven except marriage to Christ. So the new reality, what's it going to be? Who who represents our future best? Married people or single people? Both. We both embody our future. Married people look forward to, they kind of embody what we're going to be like with Christ in marriage. Single people embody what we're going to be like, fully devoted to the Lord, only, exclusively. And so we need each other to show each other, to to kind of give each other an example of what it's going to be like, what the future holds for us. United to Christ, like a marriage, and yet celibate, and yet fully devoted to him alone. Marriage shows us kind of what it will be like, but, but singleness says to us, it's not yet, it's not yet. What's coming, the unity, union with Christ that's coming is so far and beyond what you currently have. It's, it's, here's the thing. We all yearn. We yearn for someone to love and hold and touch and walk through life together with. We, we yearn for that. And married people can easily think they've got it already. That yearning is fulfilled in their marriage. It's all over. But it's not actually. Our singles keep reminding us of that. They say it's not yet. What we're heading for is beyond. It's bigger and greater than your marriage. There is a time coming, verse 35, when we will be devoted to the Lord without distraction, single-minded. There's a time coming, verse 34, when we will be holy, both not just in our spirit and some kind of intention, but both in body and spirit. No sex, but holy devotion, complete devotion. And today, right now, our single brothers and sisters can embody that reality, that single-minded devotion in a way that married people find kind of hard just by the nature of how things are in marriage. They can embody this future in a way that married people can't. And in fact, Paul would encourage them to do that. Be devoted to the Lord. And I just want to say thank you to our single brothers and sisters who do that for me. As I reflected on this passage, I was realizing this is not just a theory. You guys do it for me. By spending time with you, I'm reminded not to settle down in this world. It's not all about my family. That's not my identity. It's in Christ. You show me that. You remind me that church family is important. You remind me that it's not yet. My yearning is not all fulfilled now. It's for Christ in the future. You remind me not just to be devoted to my family, but to be devoted to the Lord. So thank you. And you may well be sitting here thinking, yeah, fine. It's, it's a really crap job. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I can do it, but I hate it. You know, it's painful. Like Linda was saying, there's a lot of pains that come along with it. And I tell you what, I wish I could just take that all away. I wish I could say something that would make you go, oh, actually, it's not so bad anymore. It's fine, but I can't. We live in a tension where we sort of, we want to be in the resurrection glory, redeemed bodies with Christ, married to him, but we're not there yet. And we live in a tension. So I just want to remind you that you are so much more than your life circumstances. 
that you are a holy pilgrim of the Lord Jesus. You might have failed in all sorts of areas, any one of you here today. You might be broken in this area, but in Christ you are holy. You are called to be his, and you have a glorious future. Maybe the words of verse 30 might help a little bit at this point. Uh, verse 30, I'll start at verse 29, sorry. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as, no, as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Because, friends, tears are not the last word for you, for any of us in Christ. Because the world in its current form is passing away. Paul's great goal for each of us in verse 35 is not to put a restraint on us, to make life hard, but so that we might be devoted to the Lord without distraction. And so I want to say singles, don't put life on hold. I'm not really living until I'm married. Don't, don't think that. Be devoted to the Lord today. Whether married or single, all of us, be devoted to the Lord today because that's who we are. Holy pilgrims for him. I'm out of time. And together, a bit tight schedule tonight, but let me keep going on this just for a moment because together we need as a church to change our attitudes a bit, don't we? Can we celebrate the faithfulness of our single brothers and sisters? Can we actually recognize that there's not something wrong with them? Godliness does not equal marriage and 2.4 kids. Can we actually be thankful to, to the singles who do, let's face it, the lion's share of the work around this place? Can we not talk to them as if marriage is where it's heading? Oh, you'll know what it's like when you get married. Not when you get married, if. Can we honor singleness as a gift of the Lord? As much as we might not like it, it is a gift of his. And I might say to the soul guys here, you might feel under a lot of pressure to date. You don't have to. We've got freedom here. You don't have to. You don't have to go the way of the world. But if the opportunity arises, maybe you will. We have freedom. Why are we going to live like this? Well, because, verse 31, this world in its current form is passing away. Jesus is returning. And on that day, friends, you will see that singleness and marriage, they were just different modes of travel to the great destination. I think that destination uh, will overwhelm us and put marriage and singleness in their place. Might we have that vision? Can I pray for us? The band might want to jump up. I'll get out of the way. Father, we want to thank you so much for your incredible grace in taking broken people and making us holy, washing us in the blood of Jesus. Oh, Father, we are so quick to let that reality slip out of our minds, and to think our identity, core to who we are, is some other stuff, life circumstances, whatever it is. Father, keep reminding us, I pray by your spirit, of who we are in the Lord Jesus, that we are your children, we are your holy pilgrims in this world, and that we are headed towards glory. Father, please put that future ahead of us, and may we be people, whether single or married, may we be people who are devoted to you, our great King. Please help us to rest in you, Lord God. We pray that if it please you, you might bring marriage across our path. That would be wonderful. If not, please help us be settled in you. We want to be devoted to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.